0: Well, good morning. I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to First John, First John chapter 2. Um, have all the children been dismissed? Did that? Okay. <laughs> all right. I guess y'all can go now if you want to, um, if you haven't already. First uh, John chapter 2 is what I'm going to be looking at this morning, verses 7 through 14 in particular. Uh, can everybody hear me good? Okay. I have mixed feelings about the, uh, the Britney Spears mic on the... The pros outweigh the cons, uh, because I can use my hands and not have to hold a mic, so I'd, I would do prefer it, but it feels like there's a little bug tickling my face. So if you can hear me, I'm going to resist the temptation to constantly mess with it. Uh, but First John chapter 2 is where we're at. I do want to bring greetings from uh, my wife. She wished that she could be here this morning. She came with Ivy the first time I preached here. The last couple times she hasn't been able to, because she's teaching children's Sunday school. And our Sunday school hour at Tuscumbia starts at ten forty, so it doesn't really, doesn't really quite work out. But hopefully next time we can we can bring Emma and Ivy. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about First John as we begin here. First John uh, is one of the epistles written by John, which would be First, Second, and Third John. Second and Third John being very short books. First uh, John being the more substantial book and the more well known book. These epistles were written by John, but written by the disciple John. So not John the Baptist, but the same John that wrote the Gospel of John, the same John that wrote the book of Revelation. It's believed that he writes 1 John uh, specifically to the Ephesian church, the church in Ephesus that Paul wrote to Uh, He does not specifically address the Ephesians in in his greeting in chapter 1, but we believe that he probably had that church in mind and the issues that they were dealing with as he wrote this book. The main point of the book is encouraging for you and for me as Christians because it's all about assurance. Assurance of our salvation. Assurance that what we believe about Jesus Christ is actually true. Assurance that he is indeed who he says he is. An assurance that we are a part of the church and of the people of God. It's an assurance that's not just a general concept or a theological idea about assurance. It's a practical sort of assurance. It's a concrete assurance. And what I mean by that is John is not making these long and drawn out elaborate arguments on how you are to be assured of your salvation and the love of God. Rather, he is simply saying, if you want to know that you're a Christian, it's a lot easier than you think. You need to just look at your life and not look and see evidences of you being worthy of God's love or evidence that you could possibly work towards your salvation to earn it, but rather looking at examples of growth through the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, if you want to to know that you're a Christian, you can look at your life and see change. Not perfection, not yet, but change through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, 1 John chapter 2, he elaborates on this further. And I will begin by reading verse 7. Listen carefully, for this is God's word. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard And you have overcome the evil one. This is the word of God. Let's go before him in prayer. Our Lord and our God, you are good and your mercy endures forever. You are the one true and living God. You are holy, holy, holy. You are above all. You are perfect and pure in all of your ways. You are powerful and you are mighty. You are omniscient, omnipotent and omnipresent. And yet, Lord, even through your power and your holiness and your greatness, you at the same time are also merciful and loving. In fact, Lord, you abound in steadfast love. And you are not angry towards our sin forever, but rather you are gentle and lowly. And you come to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ, taking on the penalty that we deserved. And rising from the dead, something that we could never do on our own. And then offering us and giving us eternal life. Oh Lord, we thank you for these things. And Father, as we turn our attention to your word, would you speak to us now, we pray. We are your people. We know that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. We know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. We know that your word is truth. So God, make it clear to us this morning. Take my words and use them. Help us, oh God, to respond accordingly to what you have for us in your word through obedience and through worship. In Christ's name we pray, amen. When I was a sophomore in high school, I took a driver's ed course. Maybe some of you have taken that before and It was taught by the baseball coach slash history coach, which is pretty much every school that I'm aware of. Uh, And his name was Coach Brake, which is always funny to me that the driver's ed coach is named Coach Brake. But he was a good guy, really funny, and he would give us little lessons and lectures about, you know, how to take a a turn on the red light and all this different stuff and uh, what a yield is. And then at the end of the semester, we would get in the car with Coach Brake and two other classmates and drive around town. And Coach Brake always had a really uh, rigid agenda, and it included going to different donut shops and uh, getting him donuts and getting him large Diet Mountain Dews from the gas station. And I always wondered how he survived physically with all those students getting him donuts every time they went out driving. Um, (laughs) And uh, one particular time it was my turn and I got into the driver's seat and Coach Brake was sitting next to me and we drive around and I think I'm doing good. Everything seems to be going okay. And we get to uh, our church parking lot, a large church parking lot and we're practicing, you know, doing some, some parallel parking and things like that. And he says at the end, he says, you passed. You passed, good news. And he said, but you got some things to work on. And I said, well, what... What do you have in mind? What do I need to work on? And he said, well, do you remember when we went to the church, we were in the parking lot and you just drove right through the middle of all the parking spots. You didn't, you didn't really follow the lanes at all. And I remember doing that and I remember thinking to myself, there's nobody here, so I should probably, I can do this. But he's like, that's illegal. Uh, and, um, but I remember those words. You passed, but you got some things to work on. And First John is communicating that same idea to us. We've passed, that is, we have the Holy Spirit. We've passed not because of our own effort, but because God has forgiven us of our sins. We've passed, meaning that we are a part of God's covenant people. We have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. We have taken of the elements of the Lord's Supper by faith. We're in. But 1 John tells us, you and I, we've got some things to work on. There is a series of tests. That are taking place here through the book of 1 John. The first test was in chapter 1. And it was a theological test. Where he says you need to know. The right things to believe about Christ. That he is from the beginning. That the message that we give to you is from him himself. You need to know that. And then there's the test of obedience. At the beginning of chapter 2. If... You're a part of God's people. If you know Jesus Christ, you are going to be obeying His commandments. Not perfectly all the time, but there's going to be signs of obedience in your life. And now, the next test in this chapter is the test of love. Love and hate. Three things about this. First thing we need to know is the negative. That is, hatred is a clear sign of spiritual darkness. That's number one. Hatred is a clear sign of spiritual darkness. Now, what do we mean by hatred? There's a lot of different kinds of hate. There's actually a hate that is a good thing. That is the hatred of sin, the hatred of evil, hatred of wickedness. The Bible speaks about this, Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. We know that God hates evil. We know that God hates sin. So hatred in and of itself is not a negative thing. And the world itself has its own definition of hatred. They think that if you do not agree wholeheartedly with something that they believe or something that they're practicing, then you are a bigot. You are filled with hatred. You are anti whatever it is that they are into. Hatred. We use the word hatred in all different circumstances, just like we use the word love in all different circumstances. But biblically speaking, and in this passage, What does the idea of hatred mean? We have to first look at who is the recipient of this love and this hatred. And he uses the term brother. Verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. This was a term that was obviously used for a male sibling just like we use it today. The most common way that we use it. But brother is also used in the Greek language to mean a member of the same nation. ...or a member of the same ethnicity or race. So the Jews and Romans both use this terminology consistently with one another. The Christians took that term, brothers and sisters... ...as not applying to their ethnicity or to their physical blood family... ...but rather to their family in Christ. Calling one another brothers and sisters. Being one in the same people that is the church. And John says, if you hate your brother... That's a clear sign of spiritual darkness. The word hatred here means to regard with ill will. We could think of it as regarding with animosity or with bitterness. And that's probably the most common way that we think about the idea of hatred. But there's a second way and that is indifference or disregard for one thing in comparison to another. Hatred can mean lashing out at somebody or hatred could mean, in a more passive-aggressive way, ignoring somebody or choosing to have nothing to do with somebody, to give somebody the cold shoulder. All of these ideas are wrapped up in the idea of hatred. And John says, if you hate your brother, you need to be aware that it's a clear sign of spiritual darkness. And he says... uh, in verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and he walks in the darkness. And he does not know where he's going. The idea of walking is mentioned all throughout the book of First John. And walking means how you live, your behavior, your conduct. And so John says, we are to walk in the light as God himself is in the light. And he says, but if hatred is found in your life, and specifically, we're not just talking about hating people that are non-believers. That's obviously wrong. But we're talking about hating people in the church. You're not walking in the light. You're walking in darkness. Shows an idea of continuing through conduct and behavior, continuing into this darkness, moving forward. Into more and more darkness. That's the implication here. I remember being in college and uh, in Tuscaloosa, and I was riding around with a roommate, and we were going to eat or something like that, and we got stopped by a train. And if you've ever been in Tuscaloosa, you know there's there's trains all over the place. And we were just kind of sitting there quietly, and I said, just making small talk, I said, you know, I've always wondered where these where these trains are headed. Where are they going? And he said, I don't know, but they're, they're going somewhere. And I thought, well, that is brilliant. <laughs> Amazing insight that they're, it's going somewhere. And it is true, but hatred and sin itself is going somewhere. It's not just one little negative thought against somebody. You think about King Saul and his demise, a fleeting sense of jealousy towards David because the women in the country were singing his praises, not the praises of King Saul. That one fleeting thought of jealousy walking into more of that, more of that and more of that leading to try to take David out, to try to murder him. It is oftentimes a slow fade, hatred, and John wants us to be aware of this. He does not know where he is going. There may be some who think that they have it all together? They think that they know everything that there is to know about God, about the Bible. They serve the church well. They preach. Maybe they teach. Maybe they're a good parent. All these things are going on. But the Bible says if love is not found in your life, you're in spiritual darkness. It's a difficult truth, but it is true nonetheless. First thing hatred is a clear sign. Of spiritual darkness. Paul reiterates this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And verse 2. You know this chapter very well. He says if I have prophetic powers. And if I understand all mysteries. And all knowledge. And if I have all faith. So as to even move mountains. But I have not love. I am nothing. I am nothing. I'm sure you've had. uh, Problems with your. Your car before. um, When we were on vacation over Labor Day, we were traveling to the mountains, and we were on our way back, and I noticed at the little dash of our car, a, it, w- it looked like an like a oil lamp or a container, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and uh, I was thinking, what in the world could this possibly mean? And typically, my response when the engine light or anything comes on is to ignore it and think, maybe it'll go away, you know, maybe it's a, it's a problem with the computer. Uh, but eventually it became clear that as we're driving and we're coming back from, we were in LJ, Georgia, we were coming all the way back to the shoals and the car was starting to struggle and I'm starting to think there's an issue and we made it back safely but there was an oil leak because a rock on the trail where our cabin was had, had went up in there and caused a leak to take place And if I would have continued to ignore that sign on the dash, we would have had even more significant issues with the vehicle. And passages like this from 1 John chapter 2 serve for us as Christians as that check engine light. A sign of hatred, a sign of animosity towards brothers and sisters in Christ. The engine light is flashing and you don't need to ignore it. You can be forgiven. You can repent. But you need to pause and check underneath the hood and try to think and consider what's going on within my heart and in my mind that's causing me to think of my brothers and sisters in this negative way. It's a difficult thing to do. But it's something that shows a sign of godliness. It's something that King David prayed. Oh, Lord, search me and know me. Discern my thoughts Test my ways. See if there be any grievous way within me and lead me to the paths of righteousness. That's a prayer you can know. That's a prayer that God intends to answer if you pray to him by faith. Hatred is a clear sign of spiritual darkness. Now let's look at the positive, number two. But Christians are ruled by love. Christians are ruled by love. Look at verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So what do we mean by love? Again, the world has all sorts of different ways of describing the word love. We think of love as being primarily emotional and it is certainly not devoid of emotion. But it is also not the absence of conflict. Sometimes we think of it that way. That love is never disagreeing with somebody or that love is never, even never having a problem with somebody. But that's actually not what the biblical definition of love is. The reason why we know that is because the Bible tells us that there is such a thing, as there is such a thing as godly hatred, there is such a thing as godly conflict. Iron sharpens iron, the Bible says. So does one brother sharpen another. The implication is is that there may be times in your life or in the life of other people around you when you or your friends or somebody needs to be confronted on their sin. And yes, confronted in love. Yes, confronted in gentleness but confronted nonetheless. So love is not an absence of conflict. If that were the case, then John would not be loving us as he writes these difficult words. So what is love? The word here, you've heard it before, it's agape. It means literally to exhibit esteem or goodwill to a person. In this sense, it's the opposite of hatred. It is to recognize the dignity found within your brother and sister that they are equally created in the image of God just as you. That they are equal as brothers and sisters in the church because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And even in our differences, even in the difficulty of hurt feelings and offense that takes place throughout the body of Christ and always will, unfortunately, until heaven comes. We are to remember this and to know That love is really wishing somebody good. It's really that simple. Respecting someone, valuing them, even in the midst of differences. Jesus emphasizes this, John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Have you ever thought about that before? By this, people will know that you are my disciple. By the theology that you know, by how consistent you are in church attendance, by how consistent you are in Bible reading and prayer, by how good of a spouse or a parent you are. And I hope all of those things are true of you. But is that the primary mark of the Christian, according to Jesus? The primary mark of the Christian is love, love. Francis Schaeffer says it this way, only with this mark may the world know that Christians are indeed Christians and that Jesus was truly sent by the Father. It's a powerful mark, it's a powerful attribute To be seen in somebody is the true love of God. The early church showed this to the world, to the Roman world all around them. What the Romans would do, uh, for example, is not unlike our culture. They had really no respect for young children or for the elderly. And what the Romans would do oftentimes is with their elderly parents or grandparents, they would leave them out in the elements because they simply didn't want to take care of them anymore. They would do the same with babies, with children, from what we would call today an an unwanted pregnancy. The Romans would have the child and then leave the child in the wilderness or outside, doing away with it. And what the Christians did is they went and they picked up these babies and they adopted them and they went and they took these elderly folks off the street and out of the wilderness and they nursed them to health when it was possible. And oftentimes what happened is those babies grew up to be Christians and those elderly folks often trusted in Christ. Why? Because of the love that the church was showing to people that the culture thought were simply unlovable. It's a powerful witness. Indeed, it is the most powerful witness that can be found in our lives. Loving and especially loving our brother and our sister. Let me say this. If you are here in this room. And you find yourself. Holding on to animosity. Or bitterness or ill will. Towards somebody else in this room. You are called by God. To repent. To turn from your sin. To seek reconciliation. And to seek forgiveness. You say that's a difficult thing to do. Because of this, what, this thing, what this person did for me. Uh, to me. What they said about me. Yes, it can be incredibly difficult. And without the power of the Holy Spirit, I would even say that forgiveness and reconciliation is completely impossible without the work of God. But yet, it is a sign of true love for one another. You see, life is too short to be hanging on to grievances between other Christians We have people out there, a lost and dying world, people that are dying apart from Christ and are facing an eternity of hell. We have a world that needs to be reached with the gospel. We have the word of God that needs to be preached. We have people that need to be prayed for. We do not have time to hang on to a spirit of unforgiveness. It's difficult. And it doesn't mean that you ignore the person's wrongdoing or that you do not confront them. But it means loving them and not wishing ill will upon them, even in the midst of conflict. Now notice what happens when you do that. There's a positive to this. Verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him, there is no cause for stumbling. If you love, you abide in the light and there is no cause for stumbling. The Bible speaks about real benefits that come to people who are among the righteous or who, as the Psalms would say, or who are Christians or who are spiritually strong or who seek to have the mark of love in their life. There is actual benefits from this. Blessing from God. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. What is this man like? He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. There are real spiritual and even I would say physical benefits and blessings to loving God and following God. Now, I'm not speaking about a prosperity gospel. I'm not speaking that if you forgive the person next to you, that God's going to give you a new car next month. I'm not uh, addressing what the televangelists say. If you give this particular extra money to the ministry, then God will bless you tenfold with with monetary gain. It's not what the Bible promises. But what the Bible does promise is that there is a certain sense of strength and well-being and confidence and joy and peace that comes to those who seek after the Lord. It's real, it's tangible benefits. If you love your brother, you abide in the light and there is no cause for stumbling. Third and finally, and love can only come from knowing the God of love, from knowing the God of love. So hatred is a clear sign of spiritual darkness. The Christians are ruled by love And love can only come from knowing the God of love. John says this in this passage, that this is not a new commandment. And of course, we know this to be true. Leviticus chapter 19, hundreds of years before John writes this epistle. Leviticus says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. He's right. It's not a new commandment. It's a commandment that was written in the Old Testament. It's a commandment that John himself actually heard from Jesus. That we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. And we are to then love our neighbor as ourselves. You remember the Pharisees coming to Jesus and trying to quiz him. Saying, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And you remember that that was his response. Loving God and loving God people how can we do this we can do it through knowing the god of love he makes this clear in verses 12 through verses 14 look at verse 12 i'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his namesake i'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning i'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one your sins have been forgiven. You know God. You have overcome the evil one. And because these things are true of you, you have the ability to love your neighbor as yourself. Because these things are true of you, because you have experienced the forgiveness of sins, that is, experienced the love of God, you also have the ability to respond by showing love to others. It is possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. A few things about this love... And this is from J. Montgomery Boyce's uh, commentary. Three things. First is we should look at the extent to which love is reached. The extent to which it is reached. Jews and Gentiles were at odds with one another at this time. And we know that. The Jews in particular did not think that Gentiles were to be loved. They didn't think that. They were non believers. They were outside of the covenant people. And yet Jesus comes and he hangs out primarily with Gentiles, with sinners, with tax collectors, people on the outside. And he's a friend to them. We need to look at the extent to which it is reached and we need to look at the links to which love would go. What are the links to which the love of God would go? To the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Gave his only son. That is the links to which the love of God was willing to go for you and for me. Christ, living a perfect life, a life that you and I could not live. Taking on the death, the penalty, the wrath and condemnation that you and I justly deserved. And rising in power and in victory over sin and over death. All for us. The cross, the grave, resurrection. That is the link to which the love of God would go for you and for me. And then, thirdly and finally, the the degree to which this love is realized. This love is now being seen not only in Jesus... But it is realized in us and how we live our lives. In us who are made alive by Him. Because of the forgiveness of sins. Because we have overcome the evil one through the blood of Christ. We actually have the ability to love, to forgive, to walk in the light. If you're here this morning and you are not a Christian. I call upon you to trust in this God, this God of love there's a problem between you and between God and that is that you are a sinner just like everybody else in this room. But the good news is that you can be forgiven and you can be saved. Turn to the Lord, confess your sins to him and receive his eternal life. Christians, can the mark of love be found in your life? You may say yes to a degree, but I know I have room to grow. Well, good, me too. Let's commit ourselves in the new year as it approaches. Let's commit ourselves to growing in a sense of love, especially for those who are in this room with us, loving one another as God first loved us. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for the grace and the mercy that is in Christ. We know, Lord, that we don't deserve to receive your love. And we know, Lord, that in and of ourselves, we are simply not able to love those who are around us. But Lord, we've been changed. We've been redeemed. And we thank you for this. And we ask that we would grow in this area, O Lord. Help us to deal with any animosity that we have towards other brothers and sisters. Help us, O Lord, to grow in our love for you. We know that this is possible. Would you do this in our lives? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We invite you to stand.
1: come now and lead us in our benediction and we'll sing out our way.